for any of you out there who might be waiting for somebody to tap you on the shoulder and say, you're ready, you've accomplished enough, it's your time, go do it. I want you to consider this podcast your tap on the shoulder, right? And let us encourage you that you are already more than enough. So just go out and ask for more. Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. I want to welcome this week's guest, Alex Carter, to our show today. Alex is a world-renowned negotiation expert, best-selling author, and Columbia Law School professor. Alex is passionate about helping people ask for more and negotiate any aspect of their lives. Most of us think the loudest person in the room always wins a negotiation, but that's far from the truth. What I love about her approach is that she poses simple tactics that we can all use to approach negotiation, from questions we need to ask ourselves to the words and techniques you use when you're in the conversation. Alex's first book, Ask For More, which is something I refer to all the time, became an instant Wall Street Journal bestseller and the first negotiation book solo authored by a woman to make the list. She is also a negotiation expert and coach for the United Nations, Fortune 100 companies, the US government, and so much more. We'll talk to Alex about her best negotiation tips, especially when it comes to asking for a promotion or asking for more in your salary, how to take away the fear many people have around negotiating, how to turn any no into a yes with many examples there, and the importance of teaching people your value. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks, Yasmin. I've been looking forward to this. I'm glad to be here. It is a true honor. And I know we talked about this a bit before the interview, but I've been following your work since your book came out in the pandemic last year. And you've been such a motivation in my life in terms of asking for more, you know, having great conversations when it comes to negotiation. So I am honestly very thrilled for our listeners to learn more about you because I think it is completely going to resonate with every aspect of their lives. So thank you again. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's it's been a wild year, truly, right? But I think I think it's shown that even in the most turbulent of times, there are always things that you can ask for and always ways that you can negotiate through that situation. Exactly. And we'll get into this in a little bit, but there's a lot of women and men right now who you know, our economic climate is different. Every person right now is doing more than they are expected in their jobs. And like you've said, still an opportunity to ask for more in different ways. So I know there's going to be so many gems that people are going to take after this interview and it'll probably be saved and they'll listen to it all the time because I know I do that. So I'm looking forward to just jumping into it. So before we talk all about negotiation, I actually want to talk about something you've mentioned when you launched your first book, where you've mentioned, you know, it's a really a big symbol in terms of your lifelong process and your own personal journey. And I think it's worth talking about because you grew up in Long Island as a quiet kid who struggled with self-confidence. And I love to talk about that because now you're a master negotiator, right? You're incredibly confident. You speak all over the world. But can you talk to us more about your own personal evolution and really what this book represents to you? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So I often say to people that writing a book is like giving birth, but but it's like giving birth twice. I mean, in some ways, you're 
you're laboring to produce that physical product. You know, I, I hold it in my hands and I feel the weight of all the words that I wrote over all those many days and nights. But it's also the birth of yourself as the person who wrote that book. Especially if you write a nonfiction book, you're giving birth to your identity as an expert in your field. And that's something that was a lifetime in the making. So as you noted, yes, I was a relatively shy kid. I had severe asthma that kept me in the hospital a couple times a year as a child. And so I didn't play organized sports or anything like that. And I often felt that I struggled socially to know how to talk to people and connect and make friends. What I gradually discovered, though, was that when I had something that I was really passionate about, when I was teaching or when I was giving a speech in front of the class, I was only called to do that you know, once or twice during elementary school, and I could feel the teacher's surprise looking at me as I kind of came alive in front of this group. Because I realized that one of the main ways I can connect with people is on issues that I really care about. So when I finally got into college, I decided to run for student government. And you've heard this story, right? Not many people have, but I actually did this so that I could make friends. I was really nervous socially, and I didn't know what to do. And I thought, okay, I've got it. I'm going to run for student government at Georgetown, and I'm going to knock on every door in the freshman class. And in the process of that, I'll meet people and I'll make friends. And when I tell you, I cried so many times. I would walk a floor of a dorm, go into the ladies' bathroom, cry my eyes out, wipe my face, and do the next floor. But it worked. And from there, I felt this self-confidence start to grow that maybe I didn't always know what to do socially, but I could teach and I could lead. And I leaned into that identity. So then fast forward after college, I think, Yasmin, I was that younger woman who reached for all the brass rings she thought she should reach for. I wonder if this is going to resonate for some of your listeners, right? Like I, I went to the right college. I got the right investment banking job. I then went to law school. And I, I sort of had this idea in mind about what I should do afterward. And then I took a class in the subject that I teach now at Columbia, mediation, and it's helping people negotiate really high conflict disputes. And I swear, the first time I did that, I thought, this is it. I've found what I should be doing for the rest of my life. I loved helping other people negotiate. So once I got on that train, that took me to, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach this and do this. But the last piece of the puzzle was, I was the woman then who was an expert at helping other people negotiate, but I struggled to do it for myself. And that, the last piece of that journey, turning my expertise on myself, realizing that other people would benefit when I negotiated for myself too, that honestly is what gets me up in the morning and keeps me up late at night, is letting as many people know as possible around the world, that when you ask for more, it is not selfish, you benefit other people. 
Mm, that is so powerful. And you alluded to this, but you mentioned hardest part was giving, taking your own advice, right? I know early in your career, you always negotiated for other people. You found that passion in yourself to do that. But at what point did you realize that it was important to advocate for yourself? Cause it's always easier said than done. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'll tell you the exact moment. The exact moment was negotiating my first salary. And I walked in, I was really nervous and I got a good offer. And inside, I wasn't expecting to get a good offer right off the bat. I thought I would have to claw my way there. I had a crisis because I realized that part of me wanted to accept that on the spot, that I thought, especially as a woman, that I should accept good enough or fair or something that was livable. But thank goodness I didn't. I called a senior woman in my field and I said, can I ask for some advice? I'm not sure what to do. And she laughed at me and said, I'm going to tell you what to do, Alex. You're going to get back in there and you are going to ask for more. Do not be the woman who does not negotiate. When you teach someone how to value you, you teach him how to value all of us. So if you're not going to ask for more for yourself, I want you to do it for the woman who's coming after you. Do it for the sisterhood. And that was it, Yasmin. The thought I had in that moment was, oh, crap. Now I have to negotiate. I have to negotiate now, and I have to negotiate forever. And not only do I have to do this for other women, I realize now that other women need to know this. Mm. We need to know that it is not selfish. I'm not taking away from you, Yasmin, when I ask for more. I'm actually going to help lift you and the rest of the women I work with up. Uh, I have goosebumps just even hearing that because I think that's also a lot of motivation into why I want to build businesses is to lift us all up and inspire us to see what's possible. But going to your point, you know, a lot of women who might be in that situation, you got surprised that the salary was way more than you were even expecting. I've been in that situation and I said, yes, right. You took the time to go back, speak to a senior mentor, get their thoughts. But a lot of people don't want to bring up that number or negotiate because they're scared of rejection or that fear of failure of getting that no. So when you were in that moment, did that cross your mind? And how do you advise people today who might not even take that first step because they're scared of just hearing no? Absolutely. Fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of ruining a relationship or not coming across as nice or collaborative, right? You know, we think, Yasmin, that if we negotiate somehow, the person's going to say, well, that job offer is coming back, right? You're obviously not a nice person. Yep. No. People expect you to negotiate. Here's the secret. When you negotiate on behalf of yourself, you are teaching that company or that person what you will be like as a negotiator for them. It's actually an audition, so you should do it. Okay, but here's what I want you to know. A lot of times people think negotiation means you have to come in and really be super aggressive, right? Or you have to approach it as like a winner takes all. And you don't have to do that at all. In fact, it's not the best approach. The approach that I teach to negotiation is about asking great questions, right? So if, for example, you are thinking about offering me a job, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions up front, Yasmin. I want to know your biggest needs for this position. I want to know what's keeping you up at night in the business because you don't have this position filled. I want to know if we were unbelievably successful together, me working with you in this position, what would that success look like 
in the business one, two, three years from now. And once I know all of that information, then I'm in a much better position to say to you, Yasmin, I'm super excited to work here. You've told me you have these needs, these concerns, and I'm uniquely situated to address those. Here's what I would do in this role. And here is the compensation that matches that level of contribution, period. Okay. So you have all of that upfront. Now, let's say, nonetheless, you say, ah, I don't think we can do that. Okay. That moment, people think they either need to crawl out of the office on all fours and never talk again, right? Or that they need to argue. No, you simply look at the person and say, okay, what are your concerns with that amount? That's it. Simply ask their concerns because you could find out all sorts of things. What if you said to me, Yasmin, well, that amount really is for somebody who has this kind of experience. And I can actually show you that I have that kind of experience. We're going to have a different conversation. What if the person says to me, well, Alex, I can't give you that raise right now because I don't have my budgets yet for next year. Okay, Yasmin, when might we renew this conversation? I am here to tell you that I have counseled many, many women and men who have negotiated for their worth, gotten more money, and in the process, made their relationships better. I'll give you one example. A guy recently, a senior VP, grew up in this company, great relationships, right? And for some years now, he's been growing his business unit, but his salary is pretty low, hasn't risen. We work together. He goes in. He collaboratively asks for more. Not only did they look at him and say, you know, actually, you're right. You are undervalued. We're going to fix this. But do you know, a few months later, the CEO called him and said, I want you to know how impressed I was with how you ran that conversation. Mm. I'm going to be retiring in a few years. I'd like you to think about your future plans at the company. Wow. Right? Same is true for women. A woman just a couple weeks ago, we worked together. She got a great job offer, but it still wasn't quite enough. We asked for almost 100000 more. She made a great case. And do you know what happened? The person looked at her and said, so you're telling me this is market? And she said, yes, this is market. And he said, okay, you have a deal. That's it. So truly, you have so much less to fear than you realize. And even the no is something you can get through and make the relationship better. I love hearing the examples that you're giving, because like you said, some people think when they first hear no, they just want to run out of the office and they think they're done. But like you said, you know, employers and people are expecting you to ask for more and it's how you value yourself. There's nothing wrong with it and there shouldn't be any fear around it. And I love your examples of that. Yeah. If I could say one more thing, Please. no, no is not about you. Okay. Most of the time, no is about something else. You may have asked the wrong person. You may have the wrong timing. They may not have enough information to know about what you're offering. As somebody who published a book during a pandemic, let me tell you, okay, I am now a specialist at hearing no and turning it into yes. Almost my entire tour was canceled, as an example, okay? Every single event where I was going to be selling books, the physical event canceled. And then they said, nope, we're not doing a virtual event either. Okay. And you want to know what I did? Conflict resolution expert. The first thing I did was I put my head down on the desk and I cried my eyes out for five to 10 minutes. Okay. Then similar to when I was in college, I wiped my face and I thought, okay, Alex, 
you wrote a book called Ask for More, so you're going to call these people back. One by one, Yasmin, I called them and I said, what are your concerns with a virtual event? Every single one of these people told me no. Okay. What are your concerns with a virtual event? The first person said, well, we don't have the staff to run it. We're kind of strapped right now. And I said, I hear that concern. Would it help if my staff ran it? Because I do have somebody. And they said, that sounds great, actually. Thank you. We did the event. Second person said, well, we're not sure our employees would want a virtual event. And I said, oh, that's an interesting concern. How might we find that out? And they said, well, we could survey. And I said, that sounds great. They surveyed. People wanted the event. We did the event. Over and over again, I turned a no into a yes. And every single person at the end of our working together said, I'm so glad we did this. Truly, no is not about you. You are, in fact, doing the other person a favor by asking their concerns and giving them an opportunity to have more information to make a fuller decision. Exactly. And it, and it will only benefit both of you, right? When you're understanding where they're coming from, you're addressing their concerns like you did during your book launch, and you're able to get to that. Yes, that works for both of you. And I know a lot of your tactics, like you've mentioned, is really all about asking the right questions. And I know in your book, you've broken it down into two sections, mirror and window questions. I know there's so much to dig into there, but can you kind of share at a high level how you think about questions and the way that we can incorporate it in our lives today? Yeah. So questions are the secret weapon in negotiation. It starts, first of all, not when you sit down with somebody else. Negotiation starts with how you talk to yourself. If you are listening to this and you have ever gone into a conversation with someone else and you've blanked or you had trouble making decisions in the moment or you felt a lot of anxiety, chances are you didn't know the right questions to ask yourself first so you could get that clarity. That is the mirror. Just by asking yourself a few key questions, you can not only reorganize your day, but you can have a plan for every conversation that involves, here's what I'm going in to do. Here's what I need from this. Here are my emotions, writing those down so that I take some of the power out of them. Here's how I've done some things successfully before that I can use as a blueprint. And here's how I think I might move forward. When you do this, and by the way, Yasmin, I do this myself. It takes 10 to 15 minutes and I am set for a conversation. Then I'm ready to move to what I call the window, which is asking other people questions. And there, do you know, studies show that only 7% of people know the right questions to ask to make the most money at the table and they are not like law and order cross-examination questions. They're open questions. You want to get that other person talking about their needs, their goals. What are the problems that they want to solve? And that is when, as an entrepreneur or a person in corporate, you are going to start to crack incredible ceilings in your career, generate more business, do more business with your current clients, and also have them come back over and over again. Wow. There's two things that really 
stand out, you know, in terms of the mirroring questions, taking that time to really think through yourself and what you want and asking questions, I think gives you that ammunition and the confidence to come into the meeting, right? I mean, I know that's something I've learned from you. And although I'm running a business now, I'm not negotiating a salary. I've had a lot of difficult conversations in business dealings, right? And, and I think I always thought that I always had to also talk a lot. And like you said, it's all about asking the right questions when you're in that situation, because sometimes you assume just talking and getting it done is going to get to the point when really being taking a step back and listening to them is really where the magic happens and where you can get to an outcome that's beneficial for both of you. So I, I love those two questions that are the way you've kind of segmented the questions for people listening today. And you know, an interesting stat that you also have in your book where you've said women who graduate with an MBA are less likely to negotiate their salary. And if you don't negotiate your first salary and everything stays the same from there, you're going to have to work eight years longer versus a man who negotiated their salary starting out. I mean, wow, that's a big deal. I'd love to just, you know, you work with MBA students all the time. I know you're a professor at Columbia, but do you see that with women that you're teaching just kind of the hesitancy around whether it's self-advocating for themselves or, you know, negotiating certain things, but I'd love to just kind of hear your thoughts around that. Yeah, absolutely. So I do think that in some ways the picture is changing more women are becoming aware that negotiation is like oxygen, right? It's going to get you everywhere you need to be as an entrepreneur or as a career in corporate, wherever you are going. Frankly, negotiation is what you need in every area of your life. At home, if you have a spouse or partner, if you have children, other family members, it's not just about money even. It's about negotiating for space, for time, for boundaries, for health, for the things that are going to make your life, yes, you know, profitable and rich, but also sustainable. All of that as women is what we need coming out of this pandemic. So it's everywhere and it's absolutely essential. Here's what I think I've gleaned from a lot of the research on women and negotiation. The biggest difference I see is that when there isn't any information, if it's not clear, you can negotiate. Women tend to assume the default is, I can't negotiate unless it's made clear to me that I can. Men more readily assume everything's negotiable unless they're told it's not. But here's the magic. When women know, when it's clear to them, either, you know, maybe the job doesn't make it clear, but your whisper network makes it clear. Your network of girlfriends, you listen to podcasts like this one, and it becomes clear that you can and must negotiate. Women do exceptionally well. Women are great at generating and maintaining trust. We are great at relationships. We're great at getting to know people. And if you are that person listening to this, if you're great at generating trust, if you're great at relationships, if you love serving people, then congratulations, you are a great negotiator. All you need is a few simple tools. You're gonna have powerful questions, you're gonna know how to use silence, and you are off to the races and you're gonna do incredibly well. I, I love this because 
like you mentioned, you know, so much of negotiation is how you manage relationships. And I do think women naturally are great at connecting people. We have wonderful empathy. And you talk a lot about how negotiation is all about steering that relationship. I'd love for you to expand a little bit more on that. Yeah. So this went back all the way to my honeymoon in Hawaii when picture this, I'm a, I'm a junior lawyer. Okay. So I'm a professional woman, newly in her thirties. And I've been studying negotiation for a while. And there was so much out there that seemed to really reduce it to, it's only when you talk about money and it's kind of a haggling over money to get to an agreement. And it was something that you only did, you know, when your contracts came up with a client, right? Like in your business, right? Once a quarter, once a year, et cetera. But Instead, right, I learned on my Hawaiian honeymoon a totally different way to think about it. So we're in this kayak, my husband and I, in Hawaii, and our guide up ahead looks back at us and says, please negotiate your kayaks to the left. We're headed for that beach up ahead. And that was the moment that something clicked in my brain. And I thought, that's right. You know, if I'm negotiating my kayak toward a beach, what am I doing? I'm steering. And as everybody else was looking at the beautiful scenery, I was thinking to myself, what would my life look like as a woman, as a professional, if I treated every conversation I had with someone, not just the money conversations, but every conversation as an opportunity to steer that relationship, to teach that person how to value me, to get to know them really well in return, so that when we hit those difficult conversations, when it's time to talk about money, when we have to talk about a contract that isn't going well, that we've been steering that relationship effectively for a long time. And suddenly, when I thought about it like steering relationships, I looked and everywhere in my life, I saw opportunities to negotiate. I didn't wait for a performance review. I would call up people at work and say, I'd love to work on that project, or what would you need in order for me to help you on that assignment? I'd love to work with you in the future. Could we go to a mentoring lunch? All of a sudden, everywhere, I was steering my kayak. And I realized that if I continued to do that and build those relationships, that I was going to get my career to the place that I wanted to be. We actually had Kate Luzio on our podcast last or this week. We talked to her last week and she talks a lot about this in terms of the power relationship. As we're talking about negotiation, the importance of steering relationships, and it's all very similar, but it just goes to show the importance of putting yourself out there and connecting with others because that's how you ultimately get to the outcome that you personally want. If you don't advocate for yourself or show up, people are going to direct your life in the way they want to. And I just, I love the way you talk about, you know, relationships and you mentioned a few examples in your life, but I'd love to hear more about, you know, you've said something interesting where, you know, right now you're a great well-known speaker. You've said that once or twice a week, you've sometimes gotten fees that you aren't acceptable or they don't want to necessarily pay you. So there are a lot of women today who might be contractors, you know, wanting to share their fees with people. And they say, you know, it doesn't fit our budget. How have you turned that quote unquote, no into a yes in your own life? Yes. Okay. Great. So I definitely get this a couple times a week. And I also counsel and coach women who are out there as entrepreneurs. And they tell me things like, Alex, I just crumble. I can't charge full price. Somebody looks at me and says, Ooh, that's going to be hard. And I discount myself by 50%. Okay. So if that's you, I'm going to talk to you now. All right. 
So we're in a conversation and I've told you what it's going to be to work with me. And you say to me, sorry, Alex, that's not in our budget. The first thing I would do, okay, if I'm looking at an event planner and they've told me we can't afford you, is I would say to them, so talk to me more about your speaker budget and how that works. And they might say to me, well, Alex, you know, we have a certain amount allocated for the year, right? Your speaker fee would be half of our budget for the whole year. And normally, you know, we're supposed to have four speakers, right? So I would, I would summarize that back and say, okay, right? So it seems like I'm twice as expensive, right, as what you normally do. Okay. All right. Now, tell me how many people are in your department. And we would talk about that. And then here's where I would say, you know, I wonder if it would be helpful if I shared with you some ideas on how I've worked with other groups, right? So, for example, we're doing a virtual event. You've got 50 people in your group. I can handle up to 500. And so I'm wondering what other groups might work to combine. And if we combined budgets, might that make it feasible? That alone, okay, has, has brought in so much extra. And then in addition, I say to them, well, you earlier you told me that one of your priorities this year is to generate more clients. And one of the things I've done, Yasmin, is I've done events at companies where it was not just the company women, but they brought their women clients and potential clients. And then we did it as a business development event, which came out of a different budget. So I'm wondering what other budgets might be available for us to access to make this work. So in other words, I'm problem solving. I'm giving them ideas. What have I not done? I've not discounted, right? And when in doubt, right? If people come back and they say, we simply can't make that work, I wish them well. And I say, when that works in the future, please call me because I would love to work with you. And I'm here to tell you that more often than not, when that happens, a month or two passes and they write me back and they say, we figured it out. We found the budget and we're going to make it work. So truly ask great questions, approach it collaboratively. And there is no need to discount, right? Because Yasmin, what happens when people discount? Here's the thing. When you discount past what you know you should be doing, you don't show up as the fullest version of yourself. If anybody here, in fact, is feeling resentful, burnt out, irritated when you hear from your clients, guess what? It means that you are undercharging. Yeah. Right? And that's not serving you. And it is also not serving them. I love that. And even as you're speaking this way, just thinking about the people that I've worked with, when they give me their fees, I try not to discount because I want them to show up and be excited. Because like you said, the more you discount, you're resentful. And I don't want to work with someone where the partnership doesn't feel fair or right. And you really, I've never thought about it like that, but you make a, a really great point. And it reminds me actually of a story. I think it was during the pandemic when you launched the book. And I think, you know, obviously at that time, some budgets were cut. And you said that you don't always think about discounting your value in terms of money, right? There was a certain situation where you negotiated different things. I'd love for you to talk about that because if they don't have the budget, there might be other ways where you can pull them in ways that will benefit both of you. Yes, absolutely. So in fact, even before the pandemic, let me take you back to my first ever speaking engagement. So this is a situation where it was going to be my first time on a big stage 
And I knew roughly what I should be charging. I did some research. So I went in there and I asked for market. They couldn't quite get there. We went a couple rounds. I maxed them out on the money. So I went back to the mirror questions and I asked myself, okay, what am I, what problems am I trying to solve with this speaking engagement? What do I really need out of this? And I went back to them and I said, okay, I have an idea. You've told me that there will be a professional photographer at this high profile event. I would like several high res photos of me on stage with the company logo in the background speaking at this event. I also would like, assuming that I blow the doors off this thing, like we both know I'm going to do, I would like somebody at the managing director level or above to be a reference for me for future engagements. Who would that be? And with the reference and the professional photos, the professional photos alone, the cost of those would have taken me over the amounts, right, of market value. Those alone got me to where I needed to be. With that one negotiation, I went on to make probably 20 times or more that initial fee in referrals from that one. So truly, at different times in your career, you might go in and say, okay, so my urgent need, for example, I'm on a book tour, is to sell books. So if somebody cannot make my full fee right now, how many books could you buy? And who else could you call for me to get me another referral for a speaking engagement? So these are the types of ways that you can, maybe it's not all money all the time, but you can think about other needs you have and get those met so that nonetheless, you're still showing up excited and you're getting what you need to build your business in the long term. I'm wondering if that resonates for you, Yasmin. Oh, a thousand percent. And I love that story specifically because I think it allows people who are listening to really think outside the box, right? Because some people think it's always about money, but it's like you can approach the conversation and leave happy if you can't pull different levers like you did. You know, those professional photos are incredibly expensive. Having a referral will only benefit you in the future with more referrals. So it's thinking about what are the other ways that they can add value that they would even be okay with and excited about. So I love your example. And I hope it's allowing people to to really sink that in and think about different ways in their own life to approach it. So we've talked about so many things in this interview in terms of different ways to optimize a conversation, how to show up as a better negotiator. What would you say in your entire career coaching people are maybe the top three mistakes that people do when it comes to negotiation? Number one is we talk too much. I wonder, yes, you're pointing at yourself. I'm pointing at myself, Yasmin, okay? So truly, one of your greatest weapons in negotiation is silence. I call this in the book, Landing the Plane. And what that means is this. You're going to go in, you are going to ask your question or make your proposal, and then you are zipping your mouth. Think about it. How often do we, because we're nervous, right? We, we fear that silence. I might go into you and say, Yasmin, okay, what do you need to close this deal today? How about $10,000? Would that do it? I know we're on the lower side, but I truly think if you look at this, no, right? What if Yasmin would have said 5,000 and I just overpaid? What if you would have said something else? Truly, one of the best ways you can negotiate is to allow there to be silence. Silence is a gift to you 
because it prevents you from bidding against yourself and eating up your value with your words. But you know the truth. It's also a gift to the other person. How often do we give people time and space to think, to generate ideas, to really imagine what they want the collaboration to look like? Give people that silence. Three months ago, I counseled a woman, president of a company. She was going into a negotiation with her board. She made her proposal and they said, oh, you know, we're not sure we're going to be able to do that. Do you know what this woman did? She sat in silence for 15 seconds. Okay, if we did that on this podcast, people might start to think their radio had malfunctioned. Exactly. 15 seconds, they handed it over. She got what she wanted. Yes, they were so caught off guard by the fact that she was silent that long that they just handed it over. Truly, try it and let me know how it works. Okay, the second thing that people often do is they will they remember to ask questions, but they ask closed questions. This is a mistake that people make. So I might go into you and I'm nervous. And instead of asking you an open question, I'll say something like, so Yasmin, um, have you looked at my offerings or have you thought about what kind of program you might want? That is a yes or no question. It's not only going to generate a no, right? Because if you ask people a yes or no question, the easiest answer is no. But it's totally incurious. It doesn't ask you anything about yourself. Instead, you want to start out your negotiation by asking a question that starts with what, right? So what are your company's biggest challenges? How? How have you been surviving during the pandemic? Or my number one piece of advice the two magic words, tell me, Yasmin, tell me more about why you started this company. Tell me about your greatest pressures, your greatest needs. Tell me how I can be successful for you. That is a question that's going to open everything up and it's really going to create opportunities to bring value. Okay. Last thing to know, this is the mistakes that people make. My last mistake that people often make is truly, that they think it's not their time yet. I know so many people, in particular women, who say, I have to wait longer. I have to prove myself. It goes back to, if we don't think we meet at least 100% of the job qualifications, we don't apply. And so I want to tell you a story. If you're that woman out there, there was a woman I met last year during a speaking engagement And she heard me speak, and she had just been told that she was not yet ready to go up for a promotion. And she said, okay. And she accepted that and took that on board. She heard me give a talk, and she decided to fight. And she went back and she said, no, I believe I am ready. I know I am ready. And she lined up her allies and advocates, and she made her case. And six months later, she was a managing director. She got that promotion. So for any of you out there who might be waiting for somebody to tap you on the shoulder and say, you're ready, you've accomplished enough, it's your time, go do it. I want you to consider this podcast your tap on the shoulder, right? And let us encourage you that you are already more than enough 
So just go out and ask for more. Uh, Alex, you speak so well. I just have goosebumps listening to all the points that you say. I think it will resonate with so many women. I mean, definitely for me in different parts of my life. I wish I discovered you earlier in my career, but I'm glad we're connecting now. And, you know, I get to showcase and hopefully amplify your story and messaging because I think it's so, so critical and applies to so many women. And something that popped into my mind that I just also want to bring up from my own experience in case it helps anybody listening is that sometimes in, you know, negotiations, sometimes you'll be pressured to make a decision on the phone or that quickly. It kind of goes back to your number one in terms of silence and, you know, taking a moment. I would love for you to talk about that because I think that's also been a huge help in how I've kind of handled certain business negotiations or difficult conversations recently in my life. Absolutely. Here's what I want to say. If you are not an emergency room doctor (laughs) or a surgeon, okay, If nobody is dying on the table in front of you while you contemplate this negotiation, okay? And most of us, no matter how essential we think we are, we can take time. We don't need to be pressured into making an immediate decision. If you are an essential healthcare worker and you're making decisions about people's lives, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, Thank you for doing that work. And I'm so glad that you are making those split second decisions. For the rest of us, it can wait, period. I had a woman recently who was pressured to you know, make a decision about a job because somebody was gonna go on vacation. Okay, Th- their vacation truly is not your emergency. The biggest thing you can do for yourself is to say, Thank you so much. I'm really excited. Great start to the negotiation. I'm going to take time to consider this and to run my numbers. Always take the time. Here's what I want you to know. I don't care if this is your first job out of college. I don't care if you had to take time off during the pandemic. I don't care if you think this job is a reach and you feel fortunate that they have selected you. If you are there, They need you. They want you. You have skills that they don't have currently. And what does that mean? It means you have more leverage than you think. So take your time. Do not be pressured. And you're going to find sometimes that taking a breather, letting the email sit there for a day, giving them more time to think is in fact going to sweeten the pot and show them that you can be cool under pressure and you will not be forced into taking an offer that is less than market value. Gosh, it is so true. Everything that you mentioned. And you know, one thing I also want to talk about, I want to be mindful of our time together, but so much of your work in negotiation, everything you've talked about today is how you speak to yourself, right? The self-awareness. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the imposter syndrome that you've said you felt with, with your book, right? I feel like you've really nailed the way you speak to yourself, but it's something that you've recently, you know, not recently or over the past few years have personally dealt with. And that's something that I think a lot of us still continue to deal with. So I'd love to hear you know, how you kind of push through that imposter syndrome in your life and you don't allow it to hold you back in, whether it's asking for more or writing that book and and putting yourself out there. Oh, this, I love talking about this. And here's the secret. It's yes, something I've struggled with in the past. It is something that I struggle with today. Not a week goes by these days that I don't experience some kind of imposter syndrome. 
And if you are experiencing this too, then congratulations, because here's what it means. It means that you're growing. It means that you're stretching. It means you might be sitting at tables you've never sat at before. And every time you grow and you stretch and you learn and you accomplish, it takes your self-esteem a little bit of time to catch up to the impressive person that you are and are becoming. So here's what I want people to know. I talk about this on social media all the time, but I want you to imagine that whatever you're doing in life, it's like taking your seat at the table. Okay. Maybe you're doing, you're reaching for a bigger type of client agreement. You're going for a new revenue goal. You know, you're going for a promotion. Maybe you're negotiating for yourself at home. Okay. So whatever that stretch goal is, you've now taken a seat at the table. Here's what I want you to know. If you have a seat at that table, you have a unique voice that cannot be replaced and that needs to be heard. And so I want you to really recognize that the seat at the table means something. It means your voice is needed. Number two, you don't need to be perfect to add value. If you are putting ideas out there, whether you're in a meeting, whether you're spitballing with a client, do you know, and I wrote about this and asked for more, the not-so-perfect idea is very often the close cousin of the perfect idea, of the innovative idea. So start getting your ideas out there even if they are not perfect. And here's the last thing I want you to know, okay? Your seat at the table comes with a microphone that you can use to amplify other people. Every time I get on a stage, a bigger stage, a more prominent stage, every time I reach for something I haven't done before, guess what I'm doing? I am out there showing other women that they can do it too. Every time you use your voice, you use that microphone, you have the opportunity to influence for good, to serve so many more people. And so when I'm in a large keynote and somebody tells me they have imposter syndrome, I look at her, it's usually a woman, I look at her and I ask her if she's getting value from talking to me today. Because the truth is, the only reason I'm doing this podcast today that I have spoken to tens of thousands of people over the last year is because I got over my imposter syndrome and I got out there and offered what I had to offer. Even if you feel your field is crowded, nobody can replace you. There's someone out there waiting for a message that only you are gonna be able to deliver. So if you're listening to this, I don't want you to make your people wait any longer. Claim your seat at the table, and if you're nervous, just know that you're going to persevere through it and show other women they can do the same. Yes, 100%. And that's also a really big motivation in my life. And it actually makes me think about the first speaking gig you did. I think it was your daughter's friend's dad who wanted you to speak at his company. I'm sure even at that moment, you were dealing with imposter syndrome because it wasn't something you did. You know, now you speak to so many people worldwide and it's something that you do every day. But would you ever think you'd be where you are today with all these amazing speaking engagements, clients and book? Yeah, it's so interesting, right? So the story is my toddler daughter was in a little playgroup with a little boy whose dad worked at a company. So it was through my toddler's playgroup. And that's how I got my first speaking engagement. It truly, I didn't have an agent. 
right? Mm-hmm. It was just one of those connections. I want to say there was part of me that was tempted to be modest and say, I had no idea that I would end up being where I am today. But the truth is, I think I did. Mm-hmm. In your gut. I think, yep, in my gut. I wonder how many of you feel this way, where there's part of you that thinks, who do you think you are? It's the part of you that wants to keep your dreams small. And then there's part of you that looks at somebody doing something huge and says, that could be me. That's going to be me. And I want to tell you that I think I heard that voice as I was taking the stage. And I recently did, it's not public yet, but I did the biggest event, the biggest interview of my life two months ago, something that's going to air later this year. Can't wait so nervous meeting a person I've idolized my whole life. And the truth is I was in the green room and I looked in the mirror and I said, Alex, you were born to do this. And I just went out and did it. So, you know, for anybody who's out there, there's no need to be afraid of your own power. If you hear that voice in your gut that you are made for big things, then honor that get out there and do it. So I did, I think, picture where I am today. And the delicious thing is now picturing what it's going to look like five years from now. I can't wait to see it. Oh my gosh. Exactly. And it all started from taking that one step. And sometimes you don't know the opportunities that lie ahead of you until you take that first step. So I love your story because I hope it motivates anyone listening today. If you feel it in your gut that you can do more, Alex is not very different from you. I mean, even me starting the podcast, it was a passion project. It's opened up so many opportunities I've never envisioned. So just taking that first step could be all the difference. And, you know, Alex, I probably could do another episode with you about imposter syndrome. You know, we'll have to save that for another time. But I think it's so good, so important to talk about. Yeah, I would love it. I'll come back next year. Ask for more of the paperback is coming out in January. I'm going to have some new material that I'm in the process of writing now. But this is something that I truly want every person to know, that the, the, the people you look up to most in the world also deal with this. It's normal. You can persevere through. And in fact, it means great things. It means you're growing. Absolutely. Well, we'll have to make that happen next year. We can't wait for the paperback. But Alex, thank you for joining us today. We're going to share all the information about your book and where everybody should find you. But it was such an honor, honestly, to have you on. Thank you for impacting so many people's lives with the work that you do. Thank you, Yasmin. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to stay in touch with you too and hear what you're doing and those things you're working toward. Thank you. So appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.